The following message is from the 2013 IBCD Summer Institute, Churches Equipped to Care. Let's pray before we start. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day, and we thank you that we don't have to face you as our judge and creator. You are now, Lord, our redeemer and, Lord, our Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus, we thank you that you fulfilled all righteousness that you ever lived to make intercession for us. And together you pour the Spirit out. And, and Spirit, you work in us that which is pleasing in your sight. And as we come, Lord, to a, a topic that's very important, at least I think you think it's important, uh, that I might be able to convey this in a way that is very helpful uh, to all of us and that would make us better followers of Christ and better disciples of others. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to talk to you about balance in counseling, and particularly the outer man, inner man issue. But just to think this through, in life, balance is really important. Okay? Balance is a key. Uh, balanced diet. Okay? You eat too much of one thing or too much of another, you can end up developing allergies or you have certain deficiencies. We know that. Um, you need a balanced schedule. You can't uh, constantly work, work, work with no recreation or have all recreation and, and no work. Okay? Uh, God says work six days, you get a seventh day off because my children get to be balanced. They're not slaves anymore. They're free sons and daughters. And I think it's true in theology. Think this through. Think of uh, the big terms, ontological economic trinity, okay? If you're familiar with systematic theology, they look at scripture and it says, look, it seems that the three persons of the trinity are, are totally equal. And yet the son seems to obey the father and the spirit submits to the father and son. So there's that balance. Uh, predestination and free will. Spurgeon said, uh, why are you getting mad at me for preaching the gospel and offering it to people? because uh, God tells me to. And other people said, why are you preaching predestination? Because the Bible tells me to. It's not my job to, to figure out how they mesh. Uh, it's God to tell me to do that. Uh, ordained officers versus everyone. We're all prophet, priests, and kings, but there are still ordained offices. So you, you see this kind of balance. And in all these areas, you can see churches or individuals that kind of really derail and go off into a place where they shouldn't be because they don't hold these things properly. God's counsel, and that's the type of them making your calling and election sure. The clear passages and the difficult passages. So counseling, I believe, is similar. Okay? God's character, I think, is at stake in this. Just take, for example, the first commandment. What's the first commandment? Slight trick question. Or I should say the greatest commandment. Okay, the first commandment is no other gods. Okay. Uh, love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Huh? Now, how do we live? By what God tells us to do. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Who can quote that? Does anyone know that? The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed 
are for we and our children to live by them. Okay? So we know that God's ordained whatsoever comes to pass. The Bible teaches that. So I say, well, what are we, chop liver? You know, our life doesn't really mean anything. We're just kind of automaton. No. Okay? But we are not to live by searching into, you know, the inner working of the Godhead. We are to live by what's revealed in Scripture. We have enough in His Word because what? He says so. Now, are there things not revealed in the Bible that you'd like to know? There are for me. But guess what? God pats me on the head and says, that's okay. You can do without it. So we, we, we need to really uh, balance these things. Uh, let me give you another uh, example of this. In the Scripture, especially Old Testament, it said again and again, this is my word. You are not to do what? Add to it or to subtract to it. Here's the word, Psalm. It's a hundred percent, it's seven times refined over, it's a hundred percent pure gold. So don't take away from it, don't add to it. Then on top of that, we're also told what? Don't deviate to the left or to the right. And so uh, that's the way God wants us to walk. Man's good is also at stake. Uh, our goal in counseling is to see men change into the image of Jesus Christ. Now, let me say this as an aside. Your goal, I think we've been saying it, but not, perhaps not clearly enough for the last 40 years. Our goal in counseling is what? Change, yes. Ah, see, that's good. That's, that's secondary. What is the primary goal of counseling? The what? The glory of God, right? So here, think of it this way. Most people think, what's successful counseling? We mentioned it. Change, so the person changes to become like Jesus Christ. That's true. But guess what? If you tell someone, this is what God wants you to do, you do it with tears in your eyes and tenderness in your heart, and they go to hell. Has that been successful? Yes. Yes, it has. Now, I challenge you. Think about this. Put this in your theological... Oh, no, most of you don't smoke. Okay. Chew. No, you don't chew either. Okay. <laughs> think about this, okay? Okay. Was Jesus Christ successful in everything he did? Okay. Did Judas go to hell? Was that because Jesus was a bad evangelist? Or he picked wrongly? No. See, Jesus was 100% successful with Judas the way he was with Peter or John. Now, it's a scary thing, and we're not trying to get people to go to hell. But the primary goal is to glorify God in what you do. And I, I say this to encourage you, because there are going to be times when your heart's going to be ripped out of you and thrown on the ground, and people are going to stomp on it, and you're going to walk away and say, I failed. But if you're like Jesus with a rich young ruler, think about that. 
What did Jesus do? Was he successful? Yes. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And what did Jesus do when the guy walked away? They go, wait a minute, wait a minute, a deal, a deal. Savior now, Lord later. Uh, try me, six months trial, come on. <laughs> now, one of the texts in Scripture says very interesting. It said because he loved him. Jesus felt compassion and loved that young man, and he would not compromise the gospel because he knew if that young man came to him, Jesus, on his terms, he really would not have been coming to Christ. So just as an aside, okay? So our goal is to, yes, to get people to change, but for what reason? To glorify God. Okay? If people change, and it's really not heart change, it's really not pleasing to God either, is it? So, we'll think through this. So our goal in counseling is to see men and women, boys and girls, changed into the image of Jesus Christ. And we have enough in the Bible because he tells us it's enough, 2 Timothy. In other words, if the Bible is sufficient to get young Timothy, timid church planner as he is, right, to get Timothy to train everybody to live a godly life, then it's enough for everybody under him. Second Peter 1, think about that. Through these what? Precious promises, you can participate in the divine nature. Now, don't read that like a Mormon, that you become God. That's not what Peter is saying. Uh, and he begins to explain that. Your, your moral character becomes renewed to become like God. Christ. So that is the goal. Okay? Now, in the midst of this, I want to give these uh, to you. Okay? One, man is the image of God. Okay? We went over that in the, my first uh, um, workshop earlier today. You can get that stuff. You have the notes. Man is the image of God. And then we said, okay, we, we put it up on the board. Okay? Man is driven by what? The heart. Exactly. And the heart is driven by what? The treasure. Okay? So whatever is your God, whatever is the center of your life, drives your inner person, the heart. And again, in the Old Testament particularly, I think in the past I might have given a seminar on this. What is the heart? It's the inner man, the non-corporeal person. So heart, soul, spirit, they're all kind of co-equivalent. And so in the heart is thinking, conscience, desiring, willing, and emotional responses. David's heart smote him, his conscience. So it's the inner man. That's driven by the treasure. So um, man has an inner being, the heart, the spirit, the soul, or the mind. I've got listed there, okay? And that's what makes us tick. Okay? And if you miss the heart, you've missed it. And I often say, what? The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. However, as important as that is, and you'll get a lot of that, the idolatry and all the other stuff, you know, aiming at the internet. But guess what? We're not Greek, are we? Well, I don't, no, no offense, I'm Italian. I, I don't mean Greek in the sense of ethnicity. I mean philosophy. 
we're not Greeks who think that the body is evil or, like Roman Catholics, the body is less important than the heart. That is Greek thinking. And just a quick proof that that's the case is on the last day, what will be raised? Your heart or your body? Now, your heart at that time will be changed if you're still here. But if you're in glory, the spirits of justified men and women made perfect, awaiting a resurrection body. And so, as one of my friends has often said, I was a co-pastor, most Christians sell their salvation short because we all can't wait to get to what? Heaven. And that's really cool because that's where Jesus is. But guess what? Jesus is not going to leave us naked. Remember, Paul in 2 Corinthians says, hey, I don't want to walk around naked, metaphorically. He says, you know, we want our resurrection body. So you guys might be wanting heaven. I hope I get that in between. But I'm, I'm looking for the new heavens and new earth. Because then I won't be a skinny guinea anymore. I'll be really, I'll really be whatever you're going to be. I'll have a resurrection body. I won't be able to get sick. I won't have asthma. I won't have to puff on the inhalers. I won't have to take prednisone. You know, all that. It's the whole person. Now, why is that important? Because, uh, and, and I think it's good, the, the whole emphasis on the heart in biblical counseling is correct. But it's like now going, okay, well, you know, we've been imbalanced here. So let's get back to emphasizing the first four commandments, the first table of the law, because we've been so man-centered. Okay. Granted, we should. I think that's true of most Bible-believing churches. Okay, but now we swing back to emphasizing the first four commandments and we ignore the other six. We're in trouble, right? Can't say, well, look, I'm worshiping the true God. I'm not taking his name in vain. I'm doing all this. I'm keeping the Lord's Day holy. So I'm not a good father or a good son. No, you got to come here. It doesn't work. They go together. Start with the first table, come to the second table. So the emphasis now on heart change and starting with the heart in biblical counseling is absolutely necessary. But it can't stop there. Because we are what? Embodied spirits or, you know, you know what I'm saying? We're, we're whole people. And, and where do we live now? In the body. You, you, you have to deal with the body. Okay, and I'll exaggerate for effect, you see. The outer man, the body, which includes, I don't want to go on a rabbit trail, but includes the brain. Okay? What people today are reducing psychology and, and psychiatry to, which is their body people. It's all brain chemistry. Well, that's not right, because you can think without your brain, right? As I said in the last one, most of us can't even think with our brain, but the bottom line is we know we can think without our brain. Why? Second Corinthians. Paul says, what? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And what will you be doing in heaven, even if you don't have a resurrected body yet? Exactly. You will be praising God and also at times weeping, saying, how long, O Lord? And we see that in Revelation. Okay waiting for the resurrection. But the point is, you're able to think without your body. 
Ergo, you can think without your brain. Paul says also in 2 Corinthians, was it chapter 10, I think? Uh, was it 12? 10 or 12. Uh, I know a man. I know a man. He doesn't tell you who it is. I know a man. Oh, you want? You know, we're talking about, okay, you think these guys are apostles? I'll tell you. Okay, you're, you're forcing me to it. I'm going to show you that I am a real apostle and they're fakes. So he goes through everything else. Visions, oh yeah, you want visions. Okay, let's talk about visions. I know a guy, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. But he went up into the third heaven and heard things that nobody is supposed to be able to hear. Now that guy, whether he was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. But, you know, he goes on. So he's speculating because he doesn't know. Guess what? You know it's him, right? Because a few verses later on he says, because I heard that stuff that no human being is allowed to hear, guess what God did? In his great sovereign wisdom, he gave me a thorn in the flesh. And it wasn't Mrs. Paul, because he wasn't married, okay? It wasn't his kids. It wasn't any, it was a physical affliction, okay? A, a, a thorn in the flesh from Satan to keep me humble. I asked God three times. See, now he knows him. I asked three times to take away. All that's to say what? He's saying you can think without your body. Okay? But now we're not in heaven. Won't need counseling in heaven. Okay? But we're, we're, we're in the body. So what we have to deal is deal with the whole man. Maybe a passage that gets at this. And by the way, as I says there, this duplex unity should be in harmony or there is hypocrisy, which God hates. Look at Romans 10. That's a verse that we quote all the time in terms of salvation and uh, confessing Christ openly to others, and, and it should be. But Romans chapter 10. Now, you remember the whole book. He's saying... The Jews, the Gentiles, everybody's going to hell apart from Christ. And then he talks about how we're saved and sanctified. And then you get this sort of uh, the, the parenthesis, uh, what it is, is 9, uh, 10, and 11. Those three chapters are there because Paul's trying to explain, why should you Gentiles in Rome believe in a Jewish Messiah that the Jews didn't believe in? Kind of like chapter 1 of John. And he's explaining all that. In the midst of all this, he's talking about chapter 10, my brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So he's talking all about salvation by faith alone. And he's talking about Moses. And 8 and 9 and 10. But what does it say? Old Testament. The word is near you in your mouth, outer man, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Now, see, that's, this is the word of faith, not what we're hearing today. Okay, The word of faith that we proclaim, because if you confess with your mouth, you audibly confess Christ with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that is God, and believe in your heart that God, obviously the Father, raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the 
mouth one confesses and is saved. Now what's Paul saying? Inner and outer man have to really trust in Christ to the point of what? You'll actually what? Audibly live it out. So the confession, as we're told in 1 Corinthians, why? Jesus is Yahweh. Kurios in Greek, it's really equivalent to Yahweh. He is what? There's only one God, and Allah is not his name. There's only one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is the great prophet, priest, and king. That's the confession. But see, outer man, inner man go together. So when Paul's thinking, it's not just enough. Let me get it again in another segue rabbit trail. This is why the insider movement is wrong. And most of you may not have heard of the insider movement, but the insider movement is some schlocky theology that's come from America. Bad stuff, okay? Where missiologists are saying, you can stay in the mosque. You can stay in the Hindu temple and just worship God in your inner man. See? The dudes don't even read Romans, okay? Because you see, what Paul's saying here is, can't do that. That's hypocrisy. What you are on the inside, you have to be on the outside. The opposite can be true too. You can say, oh, Jesus is Lord. I believe in Jesus. And you don't believe in him. You just want to sell insurance. You know, or find a mate or something. So you go to church, you know, and you make a profession of faith. See, they have to go together. If not, we have what the Bible calls hypocrisy. So you see inner and outer man together. Okay, two, the inner man, outer man aspects must be balanced. Now, here's a key passage, and it's always dangerous. I do this, and everyone else does it. You camp down on a couple passages of Scripture, and even there you get imbalanced, okay? But I want you to write down the one we're going to deal with is Philippians 4, 4 through 9, but also write down 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 21. <clears throat> Let's turn over uh, to two chapters. Well, I mean, I haven't listed here, but let's go back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to take worry as a paradigm. Why do I use worry as a paradigm? Because it is, as Jesus says, unbelief. And I believe that that's the original sin. People say it was pride. No. I think unbelief came before pride. Because what's the original temptation? Hmm, has God really said? Okay? So before pride entered was, gee, maybe God's really not telling us straight. And as I said in the other seminar, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Adam and Eve and the Lord, what's up with the talking serpent? I mean, it was a real serpent, you know. Is this Chronicles of Narnia? What, what's going on? Why are you talking to a snake? This, anyway, okay. So for the height of creation, you know, you're talking to the snake, okay? Um, Matthew 6, uh, 19, and this goes back to our issue of heart and outer man. Do not lay for, up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for your treasures and yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in or steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We saw that. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, no cataracts, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, 
You have cataracts, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you, the maximum light, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one, love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one, despised to the other. He can't serve God and money. Now you know the whole passage, and we come down to verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. Well, I really should have said uh, back in 31. Therefore not, back 30, excuse me. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore don't be anxious, saying, what will we eat and drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need all of them, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Nobody often laughs at that, but I think it's funny. The Lord's kind of going, well, let it worry about itself. Okay, why? (laughs) Because sufficient for each day is the trouble. You've got enough problems today. Don't go wasting your energy, you know, on tomorrow. Okay, so that's the problem. Now, what's the answer? Paul gives it to us, I think, in a fuller form in Philippians 4, 4 through 9. And that's why I see this almost as a paradigm passage. Paul's not creating a theology of counseling here. I think he's just living it out, and you can infer it. I, okay, verse 4. By the way, it's, remember the context. Paul's in prison. He's excited to let them know what's happening. Everybody's getting converted. Remember, they're stuck with them for eight-hour shifts or whatever. And I can imagine the one guy goes, Lucas, take my shift for me. I'll do anything for, I don't want to be attached to that little Jewish guy and hear about Jesus. It's driving me nuts. Please, take my shift. I'll do double duty for you, okay? So he's saying they're getting converted, and palace, you know, Caesar's palace is hearing about the... It's incredible. He says, I want you to know what's happening. And then he lays the bombshell. Can you imagine this in your church, Grace Bible Church or whatever? I entreat Euodia and I treat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. This is in the middle of the service when there's a missionary letter from the Apostle Paul is being read. Okay? Uh, and everybody knows, oops. Yeah, those two have been going at it, right? And I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Would that be a bombshell in your worship service? Kind of like the pastor's wife and the associate pastor's wife. Hey, the two of you get along. youth Youth worker, help them. Okay. That's the context. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Jehovah, or the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. So here's our subject. But in everything by what? Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will God guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Both inner man, but Paul's distinguishing them for a purpose here. Finally, brothers... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think, it's a command, think about these things. What you have learned and received 
and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Okay? So what kills worry? The peace of God that passes all understanding. So here it is. Uh, again, I'm sorry, I'm not a good artist, but uh, here it is, okay? This is, I will tell you what it is so you can imagine, okay? This is supposed to be a three-legged stool, okay? And, and up here is what? It's the peace of God. Peace of God, which can't be explained by anyone, and it guards hearts and minds, okay? So now, if you go through this and analyze it, look what Paul's saying. The first thing is what? The heart. Go back to uh, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord. Where do you rejoice? It starts in the inner man, right? You rejoice. Uh, again, I'll say it. Rejoice. No highlighter. I can't. I'll just. I'll just double emphasize it. Uh, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but everything by what? Prayer and petition with thanksgiving. So this is a heart issue. Now this is where we're applying it to the counseling. Okay, how do you get person peace to overcome anxiety? Or what's fear? Worry on steroids, okay? What's depression? I've been abandoned by God. Okay, go right down the line, okay? Heart, okay, and I'll head and hands. And this is the balance that I'm talking about, okay? The first thing is what, what gives the heart, the inner man? What's the heart? In this sense, I think Paul's saying it's the inner man is what? In relationship with God. And how do you know a person's relationship with God? How do you know your relationship with God is good? Here's one test. Your prayer life. What's your prayer life? Is it cold? Is it dead? Is it absent? Or is it there? And usually the typical Christian uh, prayer life is, gimme, 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 gimme. Right? I had to train myself at one point. I said, okay, God, here's the list. I'm not even going to pray for that. Let me praise you. I gotta start worshiping you, adoring you more, okay? So so here it is what? Prayer with thanksgiving. So you want to help a counselee. Gotta work with the inner man or inner woman. Okay? First of all, okay, granted to say what Adams and others point out. If a person's not converted, you're not really counseling, you're not really discipling. You're doing pre-evangelism. You're, you're evangelizing them through the problems they bring in. So they've got to be regenerate because you have no regenerate. If they're not born again, they're dead in the water and you're dead in the water and nothing's going to happen. Okay? So prayer with thanksgiving. Okay? How can you get them to do that? Okay? You can get real, real fancy or real simple. One of the things is make a list of the attributes of God. No, no, no. Not what God's done for you. That's a second list. In effect, that's what John Sale and others were saying. Okay? And it's camping down, I think, on, on one particular aspect of God. His love, His mercy, and His grace. There's a lot of other stuff, too. Okay? But you, know, you focus on prayer with thanks. Make a list of the attributes of God and start thanking God for who He is. Make a list of what God has done for you. Got kids? You got grandkids? You have health? You have a car that works? At least on alternate days? Okay? 
thank him. See what I'm saying? Uh, the heart, okay, has got to be grateful instead of grumbling. Right? How many of you know Fiddler in the Roof? Right? There's a great line in there. Well, if that's what it is to be God's people, let him choose someone else. Remember that one? Reteviev? Let him choose someone else for a while. And we all laugh. It's great Jewish humor. But guess what? That kind of humor got him killed in the wilderness. Remember? Complain. Don't. I, w I would rather be a slave in Egypt eating melon and garlic. Now, I get the garlic, okay? Okay, not the melon. Okay. Garlics and leeks and onions. Man, they knew how to cook in Egypt, okay? Uh, uh, I'd rather have that and be a slave than be out here in this wilderness eating manhu. Man, what is it? Okay? Oh, this is, happens to be the bread of angels. I'm feeding you. And God says, you really are not really grateful, are you? You know, and then it gets even worse. Oh, you want meat? <laughs> yeah, I'll give you meat. I'll give you meat for a month until it comes out of your nose. Remember? They start snarfing it up and 23,000 point dead. Okay? So ask, watch your menu choices. Okay? If they don't come out of what? A thankful heart. You see? So it starts in the heart, and Paul starts there. See, the heart, in this sense of your relationship with God, am I a grateful or a grumbler. Right? See, and so uh, here's the prayer with thanksgiving instead of grumbling. Okay? Now here's the second leg of the stool. Now notice why I like this illustration because what happens if you take one of the legs away? There's no peace. There's no balance. You see, you need this, but without these two legs, you can't sit in one leg. Okay, what's the second leg? Okay? Let's go back to the text. Uh, your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So here he dis differentiates mind and heart. They could be synonymous, but I think he's using them separately because he goes on to say, Finally, brothers, whatever is what? True, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. If there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, what? Command in the Greek. Think about these things. Okay. So what do you need? You need a head that is what? Disciplined, right? It's not a dumpster mind. You ever need dumps you know people dumpster dip? You've heard that, right? Do you get valuable things out of dumpsters? Sometimes you do. Okay. There are kids tonight that will go to bed in you know, near favelas or in Brazil, elsewhere, they'll go to bed in dumps. And they'll get enough out of that to, to feed themselves and maybe to sell some things and eke out an existence. But that's not the best way to live. Okay? So here's the thing. How many have dogs? You walk them on a leash or off a leash? Why? Because they could, yeah, but what else? They could run away or they could hit by a car or you're the kind people, okay? They could chase them, yeah, and you don't want to get sued. And, and what else? What's the problem? Your dog is a dog. I know I'm not real brilliant, but it's a dog, right? 
And dogs do really weird things. The Bible even talks about it. They go and eat poop and <laughs> puke and all kinds of other stuff, right? Okay, remember? It says that there, like a dog returning to it. Okay, you get the picture, okay? And the reason you put that dog on a leash is who's the master? Well, who's supposed to be the master? <laughs> you, right? And you are saying, you are not going over there. And in effect, that's what Paul's saying. Second thing, you need a head that's disciplined instead of in the dumpster. Okay? And so, how do you help people change? Now, I'm going to come all this to assignments, okay? And I'm giving you already pre preliminaries. How do you get a person? Take a list. Write these attributes on it. Keep that next to the list of God's attributes and what God's done for you so you can praise, okay? Now, okay. Let's go through the list here. Is it true? Is my husband a jerk? Yes, it's true. <laughs> he's running around with somebody else, and he's doing all kinds of wicked things. Okay, he's true. Okay, is that lovely? No. Okay. Eh, can't think about it. Uh -huh. Okay. Yank your mind back from going over there. You say, well, what do you think? You know, what do you think of this? Is unrealistic? My kid is on drugs, and my husband is running around. So what do you want me to do? So, no, no. Eight o'clock on Thursday night when you're with your prayer partner or your pastor and coming up with biblical ways of facing this problem, you can spend time. But any other time, you're wasting time that you're supposed to be spending on washing the dishes, taking care of the kids, you know, whatever. You see the point? Uh, and, and so how's the person, and this is inner also, it's your thinking. And I think the difference is the heart is your love for God that we're hearing a lot about. And, and, and am I really grateful to him for the cross? Am I also grateful for his discipline as a heavenly father? All the things that the scripture tells us, right? But secondly, am I thinking biblically about this problem? See, most people don't. So, Prayer with thanksgiving, and this is what? Proper thinking. Proper thoughts. Okay? And finally, that's only two legs. What's the third uh, leg? Okay? Okay, down to verse 9. What you have learned, received, heard, and seen in me, what? Practice these things. Okay? Practice, okay? Practice what you know of the Christian life. See? Okay. So now, here's the balance, okay, in terms of living. I'm just going to flip around and say, your assignments need to hit all three. And I find a lot of people in biblical counseling get imbalanced. Okay? Oh, biblical counseling. Okay? I get the opposite. I, mean, I really ding people in my first courses when I say, okay, give them assignments. Okay? And there's no Bible. I go, hello, this is biblical counseling. Okay? So you get dinged for that, kindly. Okay? And the other one is often 7 million verses, all these good, complicated, you know, go read John Owens on mortification. Or, you know, uh, yeah. Please don't give them the original. Okay? Uh, you give them the pared-down version. Of the, see what I'm saying? They give them good assignments, but it's where? It's all between here and here, 
and here and here. They're all cognitive assignments with actually no action. Okay? So let, let's go maybe a sports analogy. Okay? I'm going to go see my grandson, hopefully his first soccer game, okay? In a few minutes. That's why we're going to be out on time. Okay, so I go see the game. Okay, so, so um, you're coaching soccer. If a kid doesn't really want to play, not good. His heart, you know, has to be in it. Okay? But the kid has to know what you're supposed to do. Okay? Now, when they're little young ones, it's pretty hard because, you know, it's what I call bunch ball, at least if it's outside. There's two kids sleeping in the goals. <laughs> they're the two goalies, and then there's these little bzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzz
Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sakes he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay? So this perhaps even uh, making more sophistication on the heart level. Okay, What motivates us? What should motivate us? We heard a lot about the love of God. That should be the main motivation. But notice up in verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one will, may receive what is due for us, what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. In other words, it's the fear of the Lord and the love of the Lord. They're not opposed. They're two sides of the same coin. So in other words, okay, what's got to motivate me? The fear of God who he is and that that God would save me, okay? That's what motivates me, okay? And, and here, we used to see uh, things according to the flesh. We don't see that anymore. We think everything's different. Everything's different. I perceive different. I see sex different, kids different, money different, time different, recreation different, food differently. Everything's different. I, I don't view it from a fleshly, unregenerate stance, okay? And, and so I see it differently. And then if any man is in Christ, actually has to carry out. See, so, so the goal, here's motive, okay? Fear of God, love of Christ, chaos in Greek, okay? For, okay? That's what motivates me, and, and what's my goal? See, added here is what? And that's for biblical counseling, that people be reconciled to God. So this is the full circle. What should motiv motivate my heart? The fact that I'm going to have to answer for my life and Christ is my only hope. And, and I should live the rest of my life for him because he died for me. That motivates me to grateful praise, prayer with thanksgiving. I begin to think proper thoughts. I begin to think about everything, about my suffering, about my blessings, my blessings in disguise, everything. I begin to think from a big biblical perspective, and then I begin to live this out with the goal of seeing people reconciled to Christ. See, now, why do I mention all that? Because balance in counseling. If all I do is feed people with Scripture, and I don't give them tools how to live, and again, understandably, we all do this. We overcorrect. You know, you're on a... Well, this is California, you wouldn't know that, but there's such a thing as ice and snow, okay? And some people actually drive in it, okay? And one of the problems is when you start to fishtail, people so often overcorrect, and that's what really throws them into a spin and into the ditch. So, you know, you really have to be real careful how you drive in the snow so you don't overcorrect. So some people will go, you know, uh, all I see is a bunch of assignments being given. That's behaviorism, that's outward stuff. Man, get to the heart. Okay, and that's good, you see, you're correcting. But if all you give is heart stuff, you know, dude, I mean, I know guys going into combat, guys that are chaplains, and they have to preach Christ, that he's your only hope. But guess what? I'll tell you an aside, I won't tell you his name so he doesn't get in trouble. He used to be a line officer, was uh, active in uh, Afghanistan, you know, decorated veteran. He's now a chaplain. And chaplains, this is, I think, not so, are not allowed to pick up arms. You know what he says? If my unit's getting overrun, I'm a marksman. I'm going to pick up the weapons and worry about the court-martial later. 
Okay. Uh, the fact of the matter is you're, you're, you've got to fight outwardly. So if you tell a guy, guess what? You know, if you get killed in combat, guess where you'll be? You'll be with Jesus. Thank you. That's wonderful hope. Now, can you help me with my rifle? <laughs> you, know, you, know, you don't just tell people how to die. You've got to give them tools. So think in those terms. Okay? Put on the whole armor of God with prayer. See, it starts in your man, but why? You need truth. You need righteousness. You need peace. You need It all comes from Christ, but guess what? Who puts the armor on? You do. Who prays? You do. Can you do it without the Holy Spirit? No. Okay, here's the balance. You say, I, can't, I don't get it. Neither do I. But here's what it, Philippians says. <laughs> Work out your own salvation, what? With fear and trembling, why? Because it's God who's at work in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. So I don't pull myself up by my bootstraps, nor do I let go and let God. Okay? I have to what? Fight in faith. Okay? Now, I don't know about you. I don't often feel the Holy Spirit. You know, that's probably because I'm bad. But, you know... There, most of the days I get up and go to work, not because I feel like going to work, but I know that that's what God wants me to do. Okay? And so I, I pray for the days where I have a lot of joy. But even when I'm not, I've got to do what I've got to do. So here's, this is bound, and this is what I'm really concerned about in counseling, that you and I don't overcorrect because somebody else is bozoing out and doing what we think is wrong. You know? So, so if I'm really upset, you know, you know, grace, grace, yes, I want grace. But here's the point. Yeah, I've got to motivate my kids by grace. But guess what? Johnny, you're going to have to pick up your toys. And if you don't pick up your toys, I'm not going to just give you grace. I'm graciously going to give you a swat on your bottom. Okay? <laughs> No, really. People are, now, again, I exaggerate for a fact. You know, Johnny, you know, I really, you know, some of the friends, Johnny, contemplate your union with Christ, laddie. <laughs> you know, you're only two, okay? I mean, laddie's punching his sister, okay? I do have to control laddie with a little bit of gracious, you know, application of rules, okay? Uh, so I don't want to go overboard, you know, or, you know, I'm, I'm the, the drill sergeant, and it's always worked for me, so you just get your act together and just, just bite the bullet and, and get going. Okay. There's so much richness in Scripture, but here's, as I said at the panel, everyone's an individual that's somewhere individually at this point, and you've got to figure out what they need at this given point. Now, it's scary because I can't get a direct revelation from God about that. I tell my charismatic friends, okay, you, you get a word of knowledge and wisdom every day? No. I say, okay, good. This is the way you counsel in the days you don't get that. <laughs> and every day's like that for me because I don't expect God to speak to me audibly. So see the balance. So the heart is the covenantal core of the person. The head or the mind is the direction of the inner life. That's point four. We've covered this already. The mind is uh, either set on this fallen world or in rebellion against God or set above where Christ is seated. Okay, and that's not just 
vaguely contemplating which because you know what Jesus that's CENTCOM he's the king and he's fighting a battle and that's what it means to set your mind on the things above it's not little angels and harps you know or just the five points of Calvinism or something out it that's not what he's talking about contemplating hey he's up there he's praying for you Nothing can kill you and separate from the love of Christ. Now get out there and knock the enemy dead with the gospel. You know, and let God worry about killing or converting them. It's not your job. Your job is to love them and tell them the truth. Okay? Uh, hands must be imitating godly examples. Okay? And again, you got that Hebrews 13. Hey, who led you to Christ? The sad thing is that some people lead you to Christ and then they bozo out on the faith. You know, so... Paul's not talking about them, but he's saying, see those guys, see the outcome? You imitate them. Consciously, I want to be like Jim Neuheiser. That's my, he's my hero. Because he knows as much of the Bible or more than me, but he's also gentle. <laughs> you know, and he can really do it. You know, imitate people. And finally, six, counseling must address all three aspects of man's imaging and in a balanced combination. So it's the three-legged stool. So don't forget to give, give assignments that hit at the heart, the head, and the hands, including memorization of Scripture and all the other things. So I end up with these questions, and then we have about seven minutes if you want to ask a thing. How balanced is your counseling? You know, do you lean one way or the other, or do you really have a balance? And how balanced are your assignments in counseling? There's nothing wrong with ripping out a page from Wayne Mack's book. Okay, in fact, you probably like rip out the page because then you got to get a new book and, and buy more books. Okay, the bottom line is okay. It's okay to give a canned assignment, but do you know that assignment? Have you done it? I have to confess my mistakes. I've uh, often assigned things like that. And somebody comes back and goes, uh, "That doesn't make sense." I go, "Of course it makes sense." I look at it and goes, "It doesn't make sense." <laughs> Why? Because I never did the assignment. Okay. Now, I've got to be careful when I say, look, by recommendation, Jerry Bridges' book on trusting God, you know, that's really great. I've never read it, but, you know, uh, friends, so uh, give it to people. How balanced is your church? You know, we heard that. There are some people, do, 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 and others who hate that kind of rebel against that and really go the opposite. I have to fight that in some of my circles. Well, I, I was on a guilt trip as a kid. If you're not out winning people to Christ, they're going to hell. You know, and now they say things, well, that's the pastor's job. No. You know, see? So people overcorrect. Okay? Uh, may God grant us all this type of ministry so people will experience the peace of God that passes all understanding. And why do we want that? We want them to be blessed. But even more than that, if they don't experience the peace of God, they won't be worshiping him. And that really is it. May God, the God of peace, guard your heart, mind, and your hands as you love and serve others. Okay, questions before we go. Okay, uh, good question. Practical, okay. Like I said, uh, for example here, uh, for the heart, list the attributes of God. You know, or go read A.W. A. Pink's uh, Attributes of God or Charnock if they're really theological. Go read these and get a list of the things and some verses. And when you're down, you know, when you're struggling, 
memorize these passages, read these passages, pray these passages, okay? Make a list of, of things to thank God for. Your health, your family, uh, the fact that we still technically live in a free country that may be dying, but you'll see, okay? Prayer with thanksgiving. Uh, proper thoughts. Make a list. Okay, and the last one I forgot to tell is a schedule. Yeah, schedule, because here's the deal. When we worry or fear for these other things or depressed, we're not doing what we should be doing. Now, again, you don't want to work just, you know, just to make a schedule, forget this other stuff, you know, action for action's sake, that's not good because the heart and head, they're not changing in the inner man. Does that make sense? You know, you can do the right thing for the wrong reason, but a schedule is important, 15 minute or half an hour. What am I supposed to be doing? I tell people, listen, I can come to the end of the week and I can weep and cry and say, God, it was a stinky week, but this, guess what? I stuck, you know, I stuck by my post. I was where I was supposed to do. I had to keep slapping myself and reminding myself to focus back down on what I was supposed to be doing, but I wasn't in derelict of duty. I wasn't, you know, I've done this, you know, I mean, I can do this, you know. I watched four hours of Fox News. Why do you need to hear, you know, all these guys say the same thing, you know, that our government's lied about Benghazi and everything else, okay? I knew that before I turned the television on, plus I become a cynical conservative as opposed to a hopeful uh, Christian. The bottom line is one, you know, shows, see what I'm saying? So the schedule, well, I, I can easily say that. Well, look, I just counsel people for 10 hours today. I supervise people in counseling. I was witnessing to people. I deserve a break, you know? Uh, why? Because I'm not scheduling, see? So, so generally speaking, those are the kinds of things. Now, subcategory into what Bible verses to study, etc. there's going to be other things for an anorexic or all the, the details you get in the different seminars. But this is the, the general thing to get the peace of God. And all I wanted to say, people, is look, um, we want to we love each other and learn from each other. So some people can teach me to give better assignments and other people can tell me how to love Christ better. I need both. I need a heart change. I need a head that's in gear and discipline instead of the dumpster. And I need practice. I need to practice what I know. And see, the worrier often just stops doing what he or she should be doing. They waste time. I'd do better writing a letter to, a, to an unsaved relative, praying for people, doing things, calling somebody on the phone, you know, so the hands practicing, you know, what I know of the Christian life. But just balance across the board in terms of assignments. Yes? Just a little more clarification on the head part, because we do zero in on the heart part. I understand the homework and all these things we're doing. But because it seems to me that the more they understand that, the, that they've prayed and they've had a thankful heart and they understand even the scripture, that the head then becomes engaged. Right. The head becomes engaged. But what I mean by the head, you need to be shaped biblically. How do you think about witnessing? How do you think about athletics? How do you think about all these different areas? I mean, that's the aspect. We, you know, we don't see anything... We used to know Christ according to the flesh. We don't see him that way anymore. So for the Christian, literally, as Callan talks and others, we have new glasses. We, we see the world from a different perspective. 
and or put it in Paul's terms in Second Corinthians, taking every thought captive. Is that thought a biblical thought about politics? Is that a biblical thought about medicine? Is that a biblical thought about investing? So, uh, boy, that, that could be a whole course. Jay Adams said once, as soon as a person becomes converted, they need a course across life. And I've never seen one, but, you know, all areas of life to start thinking biblically. I mean, because literally we are citizens of the new heavens and new earth, and, and, and we're in enemy territory, and we have to see everything differently. We can't think as Americans or as Becky's, you know, whatever culture, you can't think just in those terms because all of those cultures are tainted by sin. There's some stuff that's good in all of them, but the, it's tainted by sin, and now we have to say, okay, I've got a dual citizenship, and now that I have a dual citizenship, and I'm a, a you know, Philippians, that passage right before too, is walk in a manner worthy of the citizen of heaven. The interesting thing wasn't brought out is that a lot of the people in Philippi were former soldiers who had been given that colony by Augustus Caesar and by Anthony. They gave them that and they gave them freedom and citizenship. So when Paul said that he's actually playing on the pride of the Philippians that they were a free city and that they had the rights of Roman citizens, some of them who were not Roman citizens. See, and that's so he's, he's really saying, you need to what? And that's where chapter 3. Your citizens, you know, your, your kingdom's in heaven. Okay. Anything else before we go? Okay. Oh, bon appetit. Okay. Is it true that gratitude for grace is by and large a bigger motivator than fear of consequence. Yes, it's the top motivator. Now again, I, others may disagree. I think there needs to be a doctoral level dissertation done for biblical counseling on motivation. Again, not, not to throw monkey wrenches, but certainly 1 Corinthians 11. Some of you are weak sick and some of you are dead it doesn't seem to be real positive okay but but he says well you're still christians he says you know you're not condemned along with the world so the fact of the matter is we're no longer under condemnation but as sons and daughters we really do need to be obedient not to keep the father loving us he never takes the love away but we want we ought to want to please as john was saying that ought to motivate us but, you know, the fact of the matter is God does discipline his children. I mean, the Old and New Testament are pretty clear that God in time and space does. But that's not as much a, mo a motivator as grace is. But it's there. It exists, and we should use them both. Well, as Jim said, there's some people come in. Let's say the guy, you know, if you've been committing adultery for 20-some years as a pastor and molesting your sheep, you know, to be honest, that guy doesn't need a dose of grace. He needs to be hit right between the eyes with his wickedness. Just, I'm, I'm serious, okay? And at that point, assure him real repentance will get grace, but the point is he's been playing with repentance for 20-some years, and, and this is not the time 
you know, I'm different. I just said, one guy told me, oh, I'm going to let you go with this. Oh, you're a pastor. And let me get this straight. You're going to divorce your wife and then go off in the sunset with this other woman and have a ministry. Yeah, because God will forgive me. It's okay. Okay. Tell you what. Stay here. You stay right here. I did this. I'm not making this up. I said, you stay right here. He says, why? I said, because I need a 20-minute head start. Because when God starts dealing with you, dude, there might be collateral damage. And I want to be 20 miles down the freeway before he starts dealing with it. So stay in the room and let me go. And he got the point. The point is you can't mock God, okay, at that point. But that's a rare case. But, but, but yeah, so that's my story. Well, let's, let's uh, let, you, let you go, and I'll run off to see my, my grandson. Blessings. We'll see you tonight. Copyright 2013, IBCD, All Rights Reserved. More free audios can be found on our website at www.ibcd.org.